Oh, hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us at our daily or on, I should say, on our daily live stream today, Thursday, October 5th, one day to go until we're headed into the long weekend, at least here in Canada, where we will celebrate Thanksgiving or I guess um, feel shame and guilt for being colonizers, as some of the woke left would have you believe. I'm Tamara Ugolini. I'm your co-host, and I'm joined here with my colleague and friend, Alexa Lavoie, our Quebec correspondent. Alexa, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. <laughs> Do you celebrate uh, a lot um, at the... Um, we call it in French, Action de Grâce, but uh, do you celebrate uh, that a lot, uh, the well, celebration on Monday? You know, it, it's a funny time. So it's actually my birthday this weekend. So t uh, many years, Thanksgiving weekend falls also on my birthday, which is really fun. And um, I've always really enjoyed getting together with family. We all live very spread out. Um, so we don't gather very often, but when we do, it's always, it was always, a good time and then when 2020 hit and I very outspoken and uh, was very defiant about the COVID related restrictions it really unfortunately fragmented a lot of our extended family and so there are certain family members that I haven't actually seen since January of 2020. We used to gather a few times every year and uh, they no longer have any interest in maintaining that familial connection. So unfortunately, I don't know if we'll ever see them again. I We've extended invites and we repeatedly reach out to them and try to stay in touch or have conversations about things that maybe they aren't in agreement about just to you know see if we can still be family. Um, mm -hmm. But unfortunately, I guess that things are too far gone on their side or their end, whatever. I don't like to be us versus them. I don't like the sides. I don't like that division. And so that's why I repeatedly try to reach out and still invite and extend invitations. But sadly, no, we um, we don't we no longer have this massive family gathering that ha used to happen a few times every year. Um, it's, actually, it's actually really sad, but we have found other family and friends who've become family. So we still gather and get together. It's just, it's not the same as it was pre 2020. And that really goes to show how the government and the media have, and public health primarily have radicalized people into this divide and the inability to even engage in those conversations and have discussions and debates. And even if you don't agree on a lot of things, there's always some common ground that we can find. Um, and the funny thing is I didn't really change. I had always been very outspoken. I had always been kind of, I don't like to say anti big pharma, but very critical of um, conglomerates. And that didn't change. It actually just became more apparent throughout the COVID stuff. And so I sit back often and I'm like, is it me? Is it really me? And I think, um, you know, I was always this way. So what changed? Because it wasn't really me. Um, so anyway, we'll see. Maybe one day in the future we'll get together again. But what about you, Alexa? Do you gather with uh, any family or friends? I don't think it's uh, really a celebration that we do celebrate that much uh, in Quebec. Yeah. I think mostly when I was younger, I think it was more a thing. Um, I think with time, Quebecer or I don't know, maybe some of the some of the Quebecer are still like uh, celebrating Thanksgiving. But most of the people that I know, they don't really celebrate that um, that celebration anymore. But happy birthday in advance, and I'm so oh, sorry for uh, what happened. But this is actually a reality because. Uh, it's the same for my family. Uh, we used to to see each other like really often, and now it's just something I've I've broke in our relation. 
Mm -hmm. I think you really found who your people were if you were kind of an outspoken critic throughout the COVID narrative. And when I refer to COVID, I say, you know, the government's response to COVID, not necessarily a Mm -hmm. novel package in itself, but rather the way that it was handled and responded to on a government governance level. Um, And so that's been been really sad, but also very um, enlightening, I I suppose, for for lack of a better word see who your people are and who really would have your back, right? The government kept saying, we have your back. We have your back. We lost a small business. Our jobs were completely stolen from my husband and I. And uh, we saw very quickly who actually had our back. And it certainly was not the government. And sadly, it wasn't a lot of our family members either. Um, So anyway, without further ado, I'll tell you what we are doing here today. So it's our daily live stream every Monday to Friday, unless it's a holiday, which Monday will be. Uh, We run this daily show from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern. And it's a great way for us to give just off the cuff, unscripted commentary on some of the latest news pieces of the day. There's just so much news happening. It's too much for us to cover as a very small shoelace budget uh, organization. And um, it's a great way for our viewers also to learn a little bit more about us just off the cuff, speaking back and forth and providing some banter and some commentary. So you can find us on a few different platforms. We are streaming on Rumble, Getter, Odyssey, and YouTube, which is the censorious one. Uh, so they have unfortunately a long time ago demonetized us. And I'm honestly surprised a lot of the time that we're even still on that platform. We haven't gotten the boot completely. But if you head on over to Rumble, you can send us a small Rumble rant and through a small monetary donation, it's a great way for you to have your comment read by on screen by us and we can you know engage in some dialogue or give some feedback or have some banter or even spark a whole new conversation um it's a way for our supporters and our viewers to get their voices heard we are uh, led by your donations and so we always really appreciate them and even those couple dollars here and there really makes a difference and those dollars you know it sense turns into dollars and they add up so if you want to head over to rumble and watch us there give us a rumble rant we would love to hear from you and without further ado, we have a few different topics to talk about. Um, the first one is the climate and the climate agenda and the sustainable development goals. And we'll get into some of the ESG, which is kind of one in the same. Um, but first, we have a flashback video to share with you from Klaus Schwab, the globalist oligarch himself, where he says that by 2030, there will be no private cars and I don't want to give it all away. Um, he says some pretty extreme things, but unsurprising from the same person who um, is is head really of the World Economic Forum, who previously stated that you will own nothing and you will be happy. We meet for the 20th. I hope I will have the pleasure still to be invited for the meeting. When we meet for the 20th governance summit, you will use the app like Uber, but not anymore to call some driver, but an automatically guided car, a self-driven car, will come to your hotel or wherever you are and will bring you to the airport. No, Los Angeles is one of the cities with the heaviest traffic, who told me in 2030, Los Angeles will be private car driven free. And this will allow to transform highways into parks, 
and other public spheres. That doesn't make sense what he's saying. I'm sorry, but what what would change the traffic in between private car who bring who come to search you to bring you somewhere else than you to use your own vehicle to go where you want to go? What is well, the difference? <laughs> The thing that always gets me about these um, billionaires when they get up on stage and tell you, the little plebs, how you're going to live uh, based on their watch and their agenda and what they want for you, or you don't have a say, you'll own nothing and you better be happy with it, is I don't think that Klaus Schwab is going to give up any of his personal vehicles or airplanes or jets or whatever other uh, assets that he has in his possession So it's not for the people like Klaus Schwab that are going to be carless. It's just for us, the little guys who will be eating the bugs, living in container cities, uh, in, in small little little boxcar containers. And we'll have we'll be boxed into these 15-minute cities where you won't need a car anyway because you're not getting out of the perimeter of your 15-minute city and everything you need will be right there to be completely centralized in these little pockets and Klaus Schwab will be jet setting across the world, still lecturing everybody on how they should eat the bugs. And he'll be having his uh, five-star restaurant filet mignon. That's the, that's the future that I often see these individuals promoting for themselves. But they are such a hypocrite when you yes. look at that, because they are, they are not even elect by nobody. They represent nobody, but they are pushing and like indoctrinate some people with some crazy idea. And we have like some crazy people who lead our country who can who actually believe that they need to implement that on their people. Um, I will not say that maybe blackface is uh, one of them <laughs> that uh, actually believe like all what he's saying and they actually try to push it on Canadian. So um yeah those people will all own all the cars, the plane, the jet, they will continue their life as nothing happened. And us we will just like walk, have a bike and if you want to visit one of your family that live far away, you will use Zoom. That's right. Or apparently Uber, which will uh, connect us all. It's not, which I find really funny because oftentimes the argument uh, here for, you know, anti-car is public transit. Whereas, you know, something like an Uber is, it's not, that's not truly public transit where it's, um, you know, a lot of people can board and travel simultaneously. Uber is still very much an individualized car situation. So it's just a really weird connection to draw. Um, and again, I don't, I don't foresee that Klaus Schwab is hopping on a subway to get from point A to B. He'll still be jet setting <laughs> and, 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 and driving around in his limo. Um, we don't have to worry about that, do we? And, Of course, they they if when they institute uh, a carbon tax or not, we already have a carbon tax here in Canada. I think we're the only G7, only nation to have anything like that. Um, thank you to Justin Trudeau for for that. But 
when they institute things like carbon credits, it's people like Klaus Schwab who will just be able to buy up all the carbon credits of the little people who he's they've squashed with their globalist agenda and policies. And um, he'll be able to get away with his unrelenting consumption of fossil fuels because, again, I don't think or foresee any of these people giving up that capability anytime soon. Mm-hmm. We well, have... Um, like- and, and the thing... You, ahead, you see what happened? It's like those, those people who actually like spread all these crazy idea, these false like uh, information that create the, the, the group like just up oil, like who are like activists and radical and because they are the one also that believe that what they are saying is true. <laughs> Well, and they have to have the buy-ins of the governments too. So that's why, you know, we say, oh, thanks, Justin Trudeau. And and thanks to this minister and that minister. Uh, because oftentimes the government has to fund or provide some sort of subsidy in order to facilitate and, um, pun intended, fuel these narratives and this agenda going forward. Um, so this is part of the Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs as per the United Nations, but there's also an article here from the Financial Post that says how uh, ESGs, so so ESGs are environmental social governance, and before I get into the article, for anybody who doesn't know, and I needed a little refresher myself, um, there's three, that's the three pillars of the ESGs, the environmental, and it's things like climate change strategy, and maybe we can just show that on screen, I I post a little infographic. I think it's just a little bit further down. There's a graphic on that page. There it is, the three pillars. And if you click it, you can enlarge it a little bit. But the environmental, of course, is a climate change strategy, waste reduction, greenhouse gas emissions, carbon footprint reduction. Social is fair pay and living wages. So that sounds like universal basic income to me. Um, Equal employment opportunity, benefits, health and safety, um, community engagement, so on and so forth. And then governance, corporate governance, risk management, compliance, ethical business practices, avoiding conflicts of interest. It's funny because often when I'm reporting, I'll look, that's where I'll look first is some conflicts of interest. And there are many and they're vast. So good luck with that. Uh, accounting, accounting integrity and transparency, so on and so forth. Transparency with these globalist organizations is pretty much just null and void. There is no transparency. But uh, we have this Financial Post article, and it says how ESG, so environmental social governance, is helping Canadian small businesses grow. And basically what it's saying here um, is that there's been a shift in proposal requests from major companies. They now want the companies um, pitching to them to include either mandatory or voluntary requests for information on a prospective supplier's environmental, social, and governance programs. Um, It's become part of the procurement process of these large corporations. And in this particular clip, they feature, um, or in this particular article, I should say, they feature an Ottawa-based Indigenous-owned language services company that has been outsourced, and the companies were really happy with their ESG plans. Uh, And I just wanted to kind of remind people and tie that in with how Justin Trudeau recently had to give $13 million to uh, Volkswagen for the development of a electric vehicle 
battery factory through the use of, of subsidies. And so if the government's not bailing out these companies and the government isn't assisting in achieving these goals, then they don't stand a chance. And so naturally, they the government mandates that these companies have to have something in place there to justify. Yeah, here, another uh, post from the Financial Post, Trudeau's massive 13 billion subsidy to Volkswagen, and it apparently, well, it won support in a poll um, because the polls are so skewed and oddly worded. But anyway, they, they don't stand a chance without the buy-in of government is my point here. And in order to get the buy-in of the government, it's like a, a vicious cycle. They have to have sustainable development goals. They have to have ESG plans in place or they don't get the buy-in from the government. And if they don't get the buy-in from the government, then they can't be successful. So it's just this cycle of absurdity and it, it actually curbs and squashes ingenu uh, ingenuity and progress. And that's the really unfortunate part here is that you have such a, a narrow focus here on a lot of these topics. And that's what I repeatedly see. Yeah, it's why like for the for the company, it's kind of hard because the one who wants to stand for what they believe, they will be they will be punished by the fact that they will not receive any sub, like subsidized or anything from the government or any help mm -hmm. just because they don't comply to this crazy agenda that they are pushing on every single company and people. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's kind of forcing the hand, right? You're forced to comply with it. Otherwise, no money for you. Otherwise, no extras for you. Or you're not going to be part of our bailout. You won't be part of our subsidy. So on and so forth. Uh, Laja 10, we have a super chat, or sorry, a rumble rant already. It gives us $10. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rebel, for the amazing coverage and work all of you do. And likewise, thank you for your support because without that, we wouldn't be able to do our work and coverage. Um, truly, we are um, supporter-led, supporter-funded. So thank you for that. Uh, and then, so uh, the next on the docket here under the climate alarmism narrative, we have a video. I think you were getting to that earlier, Alexa, the just stop oil mm -hmm. um, protesters. Let me just check that out. people their show is just completely interrupted i imagine that half of them don't even know what's going on <laughs> but 
the thing is like why those people are not being arrested and charged and like when we look at the convoy now these are still in trial after like mm -hmm. more than almost like a year and, and something after like the convoy and and those people are just like repeatedly doing the same thing obstructing the the roads and even and are causing chaos at some places but none of them like i've been like confronted to jail police charges criminal charges and and it's it's just because they're they are pushing in the same line than the government wants so it's just because of that and this is really outrageous because this is double standard again yeah once again the hypocrisy but they were there was five of them that were arrested according to the guardian um, so this happened yesterday. Uh, it was just Charge stop oil protest. Arrested. and Yeah, right. They were probably arrested and later just released and let go. Um, I don't know. Maybe it says later on in the article whether or not they were actually charged. But um, this happened in London, England. And it was they disrupted. Alexi, you better take over the French, French pronunciation. Les Miserables is I'm terrible. Yeah, with, <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> and so they just they just. Obviously, you know, you saw on screen there that they interrupted the theater in London West's end, and then five of them were arrested. I'm not seeing in here that any of them were actually charged. But uh, again, I don't think that the people who are attending, like at least if you're going to plan this provocateur uh, shutdown of a performance, I think it says in there how much tickets were. I assume they're not they're not cheap. But no, at least make not. get your message across if you're going to do that. Standing up there with this one um, rendition of a, I don't know, was it a skull? I'm not even really sure. Um, but I, I imagine that the vast majority of people in the audience had no idea what was going on. At least get your message across if you're going to take such a hard stance and. Um, and interrupt an entire performance for it just seems so silly. It, it reminds me of when we were in Germany. Um, actually, I guess it's been almost a year uh, when we were covering the World Health Sum Summit in Berlin and those radical climate activists pulled the fire alarm in the building, caused all of this um, commotion, hysteria, and the bureaucrats, remember the one bureaucrat in the hallway was just having a complete complete meltdown about it but then they glued themselves outside to the windows they made a giant mess of the whole outside of the venue using <laughs> all the products that have fossil fuels and and they use fossil fuels in their production and it also made um the hotel staff have to come out with more products that used fossil fuels in their production and or in the product themselves to clean up their mess so the whole thing, like protesting against fossil fuels and climate alarmism and just making a mess for other people to clean up with your paper and your glue, none of none of these are sustainable ways to try to get across the fact that you apparently love sustainability. It's so bizarre. It's so hypocritical. And it's really sad, I guess, or, or they've just been so indoctrinated to not even see how hypocritical it is the way that they handle themselves and their cause. It's really bizarre. And yes, they get arrested, but I, most of the time I saw them like being released right after like example by Greta Thunberg. 
She got like bring almost like a photo up, like being bring out by with the police and no charge. And she's just been released afterwards, you know. So most of the, those people, it's what is happening. It's just like police need to do something to to get like peace back and and they they remove them they arrest mm -hmm. them and after that they release afterwards so for them it's just like i know i was doing the right thing so i need to do it again anyway there is no um not much um sacrifice or not much consequences to do so so why not <laughs> Uh, I always have to laugh at the photo op. Like, just hold hold on for the arrest. Just one minute. Just stand right there. Let us just get some photos while you're in the middle of an arrest, apparent arrest. It's just so strange. And it's very emotionally driven, right? They're not based in facts. They're not based in logic. They're not based in rational thinking. It's very emotive and hysteria driven. And we have we see that we have another clip here. Another just stop oil uh, spokeswoman gets gets oh, emotional yeah. cannot control herself and starts crying during an interview let's have a look at this how worse does it have to get how many kids have to die how many more young people have to do this stuff i don't know what else to say anna why aren't you on the streets with us that's all i can say how do you explain your inaction how do you explain it Everyone here, all the presenters that we talk to, how do you explain your inaction? How much longer are you going to keep this journalistic objectivity up until the water's lapping at your ankles, until your own kids haven't got food? How long? And, and for Just Stop Oil, what's next? Will you continue to, to disrupt events? or what's, what's the what's the What's the plan? Because it's morally wrong to not take the action that we know from history has got some chance of having an effect. People feel powerless. We are the opposite. When we come together, we have enormous power. There are so many more of us than there are of them. How worse does it I feel really sorry for her. Like, she's so indoctrinated. She's so, like, pursued that um, she's right. And what she's saying, like, did you hear it at the beginning? She said, how many kids need to die? Mm -hmm. And Would when I... they don't have food to eat, and I'm over here thinking, um, does she know that in Canada, families can't feed their children because of the rate of inflation and the insane cost of living thanks to our government's own tax impositions? What about that? Um, you know, the, the left will cry, oh, well, your whataboutism. And to that, I say, well, how is the carbon tax going to curb carbon? It, and then, so we should not have any food to eat now because of the carbon tax versus in what, I don't even know how, what their year by play by play would be if they claim that there's going to be no food. I, like how The whole thing just doesn't make sense. You try to, to make sense of it and to apply logic and reasoning and, and rational thought and the mental gymnastics that are needed to get to that conclusion that there will be no food. Um, just it's obscure and the fact that initiatives like the bill and melinda gates foundation for instance mm. they're they claim to be humanitarians and they care about saving children's lives meanwhile they just invest billions maybe even trillions into perpetual vaccine development and administration when they could quite literally feed all of the starving children with that same money but instead of feeding and curbing world hunger they just want to inject everybody with their pharmaceutical products so 
again, this this stuff just doesn't make sense. I think there are solutions here that just simply are not being addressed or looked at because there's no money in curbing and actually fixing the problem. You can continue to capitalize and make money off of a problem so long as it continues to exist. But if we solve the problem, then, hey, maybe we don't make money anymore. And that's what people like Bill and Melinda Gates are more interested in, in my opinion. And if you want to do really a good action, don't disrupt even with normal citizens. Go where is the richest person in the world. Ask them like to do some donation and to provide maybe a part of their, their wealth to, to buy some food or anything. Or the, those people who actually claim that uh, it's the small population that needs to uh, do sacrifices during that they use their private jet, go and disrupt their event. It's them. You need to do something to them, not like just the normal people. <laughs> yeah. And again, those normal people who are who probably had no idea what was happening. They probably <laughs> yeah. still even even still, even with the 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 small um graphic that they had present while they were shutting down the stage, people still probably were like, what how, how, like there wasn't a website, there wasn't a name, there wasn't a logo. It was just Maybe that is their logo. I don't. I don't even know that much about Just Stop Oil, other than it's they called, clearly base their decisions on emotion and not lo logic and rational thought processes. Um, yeah, and it just it just makes very little sense. Um, and I'm sure they're all getting there using vehicles and fossil fuels. And I'm sure all of their clothes are derived from products and processes that utilize fossil fuels. So uh, more hypocrisy of the new normal is what I like to call it. Before we wrap up the segment on the climate alarmism, what is going on at the Vatican? Um, the Pope was <laughs> these bizarre videos. Um, this one comes from Ian Miles Chong tweeted this out. Uh, the Vatican has lost the plot. What's going on with the Pope? And, and it's like a freakish <laughs> weird dance. Yeah, let's play this clip. This oh is just, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I have no words. I, I can't even believe that this is happening at the Vatican. This is makes <laughs> such a mockery of the church. Um, mm. I'm shocked that circus? this is allowed. Sorry, say that again. Is it the circus? Yeah, I don't even know what it is. Um, it's some sort of show that the Vatican had um, was hosting. But it's just, uh, you know, having scandally clad adults prancing around the Vatican just seems 
so satanic to me that the, the the whole scene and the situation if you want to go and have go to the circus or go to these shows or go see a performance on your own time then have at it but this is supposed to be literally the holy grail of yeah. of god and jesus christ and you're making a complete mockery of it um I mean, it's unsurprising. We have also this CTV news article on the Pope uh, where he calls it a point of no return. He challenges leaders at UN talks to slow global warming before it's too late, as though governments can control the rate of, of um, warming of the climate. Pope Francis shamed and challenged world leaders on Wednesday to commit to binding targets to slow climate change before it's too late, warning that God's increasingly warming creation is fast reaching a point of no return. This is just appropriating religion for a really bizarre climate alarmism agenda. And uh, I don't know, I don't, Pope Francis, for years has been you know engaged in really weird conduct and said some bizarre things um i don't i just don't think this is an appropriate stance for the pope to be taking it's not an appropriate topic for him to engage in and to use the reference to god's creation this is i don't i, I i'm lost for words after seeing that video coupled with his comments on this it's it's very disturbing, um, and I think it's really turning a lot of people away from Catholicism and religion as a result, which is obviously counterintuitive to what some someone like the Pope should be doing. And what is his qualification for claiming like those claims, like saying that almost like there is a point of no return? It's it's what I really find shaming from media or, or other like. It's like gathering the voice of so many people who are not qualified to claim those things. And afterwards, that goes straight to the mind of the people as as much as if, if, if it is a fact. When it's not a fact, those people doesn't know anything. Can we actually speak with scientists? I don't want to see the political report. I want to see the scientific report. I want to read it. I want to see what it's, it say on it. And I heard them talking about the, the real result and not like in the alarmist way. Yeah, well, and it's all based on this faulty modeling and that really came to fruition and was highlighted and heightened by the COVID pandemic because likewise, the pandemic predictions were based on faulty modeling that never came true or had really weird parameters and inputs. And so the same thing can be said for the climate alarmism as well. It's all based on these faulty models and predictions. And as we see repeatedly, like peak oil, uh, these predictions never come true. We have another super chat here that I'll just read quickly from Fraser McBurney. Gives $5. Thanks, Fraser. And then we'll Thanks. go to a quick ad break. In 1650, wow, we're really going back in the archives here. It took over two months to travel from Europe to Canada. In 1750, it was the same. In 1850, it took three weeks with the age of steam. In 1950, it took 10 hours to fly. In 1980, it took three hours to fly. Yeah, there's some there's some real progress for you. And now it seems like we're we just don't you know, we're just curbing travel altogether because of um, this idea 
that greenhouse gas emissions and this minuscule amount that humans contribute is needs to be immediately halted um, so that the globalists can continue their travel plans, but all of us have to stay home, confined to our container car apartments in 15-minute cities. Mm -hmm. uh, Wonder Woman Wells also gives $5. Thank you very much. Many employees' religious exemptions in my organization were refused on the basis that the Pope supported vaccines. Yes, this is a great point. The Pope does not speak above the word of Jesus Christ or God. Yeah, they're supposed to speak through him, and he's obviously um, proving himself to be a very poor ambassador for um, Christianity, for religion, and and or Jesus Christ or and or God. Um, when he supported vaccination, that was another point that I'm saying there's been a history here with Pope Francis where he endorses and gets behind things that really um, should he should in my view, be taking the opposite stance, but also maybe just not take a stance at all on. And um, and yeah, when he came out and said that about the COVID vaccines, that was a real kick for a lot of uh, Christians, Catholics alike. Really, really unfortunate, but uh, we're about halfway or we're over halfway through the show now. So we'll go to a quick ad break and then we will come back with some more news pieces to chat about. Come on out November 25th, it's all aboard the Freedom Train in Niagara-on-the-Lake. You can check Rebel News for updates and also the Freedom Passport site. Tamara Leach, who led the Truckers Convoy, will be sharing the stage with some of the finest international recording artists. Like the Chops Horns from New York City, who's played with Alicia Keys, Stevie Wonder, the Rolling Stones, and many more. Plus New World Sun, just off a European tour, and the legendary R&B master... Leroy Emanuel. Get on the Freedom Train with Tamara Leach. Saturday, November 25th at Niagara-on-the-Lake Central Community Center, 680 York Road. Get your tickets today at freedompassport.ca. The Freedom Train is coming. Know your rights. Know your freedoms. Hey, Ben Shapiro here. This November, the Wilberforce Project is bringing me to Canada. If you want to fight the woke machine destroying families, join me in Calgary for my talk. Hosted by the Wilberforce Project. Go to benshapirolive.ca for info and tickets. All right, next on the list, we have uh, more unelected fiscal irresponsibility. Or sorry, I shouldn't say unelected, but more fiscal irresponsibility by our elected officials. So uh, this post is from Franco Terzano. He is the head of or the federal director of the uh, Taxpayers Federation here in Canada. And the article that he is tweeting about here comes from the CBC where Justin Trudeau's Montana holiday vacation cost taxpayers much more than he originally reported or disclosed to in Parliament. So the price tag for the trip came to a whopping, and this was just a weekend, this was his, an Easter weekend trip in Montana, came to $228,839, far higher than the sum disclosed to Parliament. Um, and so the costs incurred included the Canadian, the cost carried by the Canadian Armed Forces, the Privy Council Office, and the RCMP. Um, and so it did not include the regular salaries of the RCMP officers or the Royal Canadian Air Force Air Crew or the Privy Council official who would normally accompany the Prime Minister 
with the equipment needed to communicate securely. So originally, Justin Trudeau disclosed that this trip cost $23,846, which in and of itself is a, like, that is a lot of money for a weekend getaway, a weekend vacation in Montana during Easter, so in April, uh, earlier this year. So originally he disclosed almost $24,000, his weekend trip. Meanwhile, it actually cost two hundred and almost $229,000. This is exponentially more than what he tried to disclose to Parliament. And I think we discussed this the other day, Alexa, where um, the, I can never remember their name, Minister um, was, had resigned or fired over a glass of orange juice. <laughs> I mean, and Justin yeah. Trudeau knows he has to know at this point how much Canadians are struggling to feed their families, heat their homes, afford their houses, mm-hmm. their cars. The cost of living is insane. And meanwhile, he can go ahead. And even if he spent $24,000 on a weekend away, that's egregious enough. But meanwhile, it's actually almost close to $230. This is just absurd. And there's just no accountability. There's no one bats an eye. It'll be on to the next news cycle item tomorrow. This man doesn't know, like, what is the real reality of Canadian. Like, he is, he is completely disconnected from what what it should, like, lead. Like, your country needs your help. It needs to balance the budget. Canadian need help to pass through the inflation because a lot of people will probably finish, like, without a place to stay since a lot of people need to have to sell their house because the mortgage have like just like skyrocket. <laughs> uh, and and him is like, he just go on vacation, spending all the money of like hardworking Canadian. Like it's so, so outrageous because we know how it's hard to ro- work every day, sometime over time. And, and we work hard to be able to raise that money to make sure that our infrastructure is going okay, that everything is going okay in Canada, but no, that our money is not going there. It's going to a leader that doesn't know what to do with our money. And it doesn't even matter if you work hard. It doesn't even matter if you work overtime because the amount you'll pay in taxes, it doesn't even make sense. It almost doesn't make sense to work anymore because you are taxed nearly nearly 50 the average canadian household is taxed nearly half of its income to mm-hmm. the government between the municipal at the municipal level your property taxes if you own a, a home to your provincial taxes here in ontario is 13% sales tax or um, gst and then of course you have the federal ta- federal government's taxes on top of it and now we get our uh, canada day inflationary increase to our car- the carbon tax, which the the last um, in- increase of the installment went up on Canada Day. Now we have this that has not only affected directly Canadians, but also uh, ricocheted and rippled out and affected every piece of product that Canadians can buy in the store. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it almost doesn't make sense, even if you're a hardworking, overtime-driven uh, person, employee, it doesn't make sense because you end up just being taxed out of the Yahoo for your hard work. And um, that's where a lot of Canadians are getting 
frustrated as these people get to jet set on our dime while we're struggling mm -hmm. to quite literally just have the bare necessities of life, feeding our children. This isn't a uh, 25 or $225,000 weekend getaway jet setting in Montana. This is just the ability to feed your children three square meal meals a day and maybe give them some snacks and whole foods while you're at it. Uh, that it's just absolutely absurd. Um, this is a government that said that balance, budgets would balance themselves. So there is no fiscal responsibility. And I think that that being the cornerstone of a conservative platform is having that, that fiscal responsibility is really why you see the polls so heavily in favor of uh, leader of the opposition, Pierre Polyev. But unfortunately, because of the liberal NDP coalition, they don't stand a chance. And we have to wait out another two years until, or a year and a half until the next election I don't even know what's going to be left of Canada by that point, because so many people are looking for a way out. If they haven't already left, which I have tons of friends and even some family, um, uh, direct family members who have left the country, and I don't think they're coming back anytime soon. Um, more and more Canadians are starting to say, hey, wait a minute, things aren't getting any better here. In fact, they're just getting worse. And maybe we should think about an exit strategy as well. So soon, like, we will have a Canada without Canadian because all the Canadian will be, like, done with, like, what is going on and that they will be, like, fleeing all around and not here. <laughs> yeah, it's already on the path to that. The immigration targets are insane. Even if the amount of Canadians stay, um, we're, in, we're increasing our population like wildfire. And that's another pun over this the past few months. But, um, yeah, we're, we're going to be replaced and will flee to other countries that uphold um, what used to be Canadian values. And that was, you know, freedom and, uh, and, and, and diversity was at one point supposed to be our strength, but it's turning out that there's actually not a lot of diversity and that's in terms of diversity of thought. Um, and when we, when we bring in more diversity, there is a clear lack of, um, of wanting to embrace the Canadian values and traditions. And a lot of the new Canadians that are coming into the country are finding that they were sold on a false premise that Canada was had wealth and it had opportunity. And they're finding mm -hmm. that they just can't make their way in Canada, like many Canadians, uh, Canadian born individuals. And so that's just, just a recipe for disaster, in my opinion. Um, we have another uh, unethical ruler here, former mayor of Toronto, John Tory. This report comes from the Toronto Star, where he broke the ethics rules over his relationship with a staffer. Um, this is a report. I don't know. I didn't need a report to tell me that he broke ethical ethic. He he broke ethics rules over a relationship with a staffer. So this happened in. I get my years mixed up post-COVID, but he essentially, he, so he cheated on his wife with one of his staffers who was, I think, um, approximately 30 years younger than he was, Ooh. if I remember correctly. Yeah. And it was a big deal because um, John Tory was really um, set and proud to have some of the harshest COVID-19 related restrictions in Canada. Um, Toronto really went above and beyond they uh, squashed peaceful protest. 
They, mm-hmm. you know, they had aggressive uh, gathering restrictions from the Ontario government that were really reinforced by the mayor of Toronto, John Tory, at the time. And, um, you know, there was indoor gathering restrictions. You were supposed to have your bubble. There was uh, that time when we had, you had to restrict you gathered with to a bubble and then you weren't allowed to leave your house. And there was all these different rules and regulations around the COVID pandemic handling and who you could and couldn't interact with. And literally during that time when John Tory was supposed to be, you know, hiding out in his house with his, with his wife of gosh, I can't remember, maybe they say in the article, but uh, like 40 decades, decades of marriage with his wife. And he, meanwhile, he was moseying on out with his, his staffer um, in direct, obviously ethics violations happened here, but also, um, in the face of gathering restrictions. And I think that was also at the time when, was it BC's medical officer of health, Bonnie Henry, uh, she proposed that people use glory holes if they wanted to go out and engage in, uh, sexual acts. They promoted the use of glory holes and wearing masks during intercourse and um, I don't, I think even changing up your position. So you weren't face to face. And so meanwhile, when all, while all of this is happening and I'm not saying that it's, that it's right. And I am, I think this is completely laughable and nonsensical and absolutely ridiculous and absurd that we have many state telling people how they should and should not engage in sexual interactions. Um, but at that same time, you have a supposedly happily married mayor of Toronto who's backing these kinds of restrictions and measures, going out and cheating on his wife with one of his staffers. Um, obviously, this is an ethics violation. I'm shocked that we even need a report to tell us that. And it seems like now, same if you do like a ethic violation example, like I know that one of our like politicians in Quebec, it's at is six or seven investigation for its violation is still in place. It's still, it's still there. <laughs> yeah. So Tory did resign after oh, okay. this so... <laughs> was discovered. Yeah. So he did resign and then that's why there was an election and now Toronto gets Olivia Chow. So good luck. Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so there's a new report here. Um, Tory resigned in February after the star revealed his relationship with the woman uh, breached two articles of the code of conduct. And so anyway, they they get into what exactly he breached and how, but, you know, um, I think that the proof was pretty clearly in the pudding that Tory breached ethics when he cheated on his wife with a staffer during peak COVID hysteria, when you weren't supposed to be breathing um, mm-hmm. out in public, essentially. That's how hysterical things got in Toronto. Uh, yeah. By the way, how, how is uh, Olivia Chow? I, I never see anything about her. It seems like she's sometime there. I don't know. I, I, I never <laughs> seen any news about her. So I'm just she like was, thinking she's quiet. <laughs> yeah, she was pretty excited about the Blue Jays um, yesterday. I don't even know if they ended up winning their, I think it was the first playoff game in the series, but uh, she was pretty excited about that. I don't hear anything of substance about Olivia Chow. Maybe it's too early to tell, but, um, mm-hmm. you know. She, she wants more money from the feds for things like housing and transportation. And I think she's set to increase, I don't even know what percentage, but she's set to increase taxes in Toronto by, I don't, I, again, I'm not sure the percentage, but that's, mm-hmm. that was one of her, her key uh, platform policies mm-hmm. is that 
you know, taxes and more money, more money, more money from the feds. We have another uh, piece to share with you on conservative leader Pierre Polyev. This comes from the CBC. His inner circle is apparently divided over how to tackle gender issues, sources say. The party's position on gender identity is being vigorously debated in the conservative leader's office. Alexa, you were there at the conservative convention. What was the what was the landscape around gender identity like when you were there? Uh, that was uh, obviously like a hot topic. Uh, I know that some people didn't want it, uh, the party to really take a stance or a position because they say that the party would be uh, paint with, um, you know, a transphobic or homophobic like uh, point of view. And they say that mainstream media want them actually to talk about it, to use that maybe against them. So a lot of people were for speaking about it because they say that it's important. We need to mm -hmm. talk about the future of our children and what is going on. And other people, you were able to see that they were mostly ready to censor themselves, censor the party to maybe win the next election and just like go under the radar. So uh, yes, uh, that was the biggest hot topic of uh, the convention. Yeah, well, as soon as you start even saying anything um, that doesn't immediately affirm the idea of gender identity, you're called a transphobic bigot. Um, so I mm. think the conservatives are still really just scared of the media party and the way that they'll be spun by the government, you know, the liberal government lapdogs, how they'll be perceived in the mainstream media and... I think conservatives just need to get over them, get over it, get over themselves, have a spine, get a moral compass, listen to the valid concerns of parents who are whose children are really at the forefront of this. I hate to I hate to call it a battle, but um, at the forefront of this this indoctrination scheme that is unprecedented, that isn't based on any. Again, I spoke about uh, rational logical, reasonable things, tangible things. This is all based on hysteria and theory and ideologies. And so just leave the kids alone. If you want to leave this, you know, the idea of gender identity and sexual orientation and what have you to um, academics, to people in universities or scholars to put out papers or debate it or have these discussions, fine, go ahead, have at it. But leave these impressionable kids in a publicly funded school system alone, protect their innocence first and foremost, and then leave these um, weighted, heavily weighted conversations, leave it to adults. Let the adults handle it, leave the kids alone. And, you know, we have um, Justin Trudeau on the other side. We have a breaking clip here in a press conference where he's asked if he'll apologize or, or condemn the characterization of Muslim parents as hateful, transphobic bigots for simply bringing up the fact that they don't want their kids exposed to this SOGI 123 curriculum. Let's have a look at this. The Muslim Association of Canada and other groups have uh, recently condemned your characterization of people, including Muslim families who recently protested for what they call parental rights. You use the word hate to describe their concerns and you've been asked to retract that comment and apologize. Will you do that? And should you have been more careful in the way you discuss this issue? I will always stand up for everyone's rights in this country. Stand up for 
uh, Muslim communities stand up for two SLGBTQI plus communities stand up for marginalized people across this country and protect them from intolerance and yes, from hatred when it is there. I am going to continue uh, to work to bring people together and to make sure our kids are protected while standing up for everyone's rights. This is something that is core to Canada, that we defend each other's rights, that we support each other. And I've never suggested that someone who's concerned about parental rights is somehow filled with hate or intolerance. <laughs> but what we need to make sure is that when we do see expressions of hatred or intolerance against Muslims, against the 2SLGBTQI plus community, against any Canadians, that we are firm in standing against intolerance, and that we reach out to bring people together. That's what I will always do. That's what this government has always done with Muslim Canadians and with all uh, members of diverse communities. Quick follow-up, so you're not retracting the comment in question. It was a tweet uh, talking about how we stand with the 2SLGBTQI plus community, and we always will. We will always stand against hatred and intolerance wherever and from whoever it comes. But anyone who's trying to politicize or spin this as an attack on one particular group um, is trying to divide communities against each other. We are a government and a party that will always stand against intolerance wherever it is. Unless you're a Canadian trucker who was opposed to the government's COVID response and federally mandated injection legislation, then we can't tolerate those people. Remember, like that, he he quite literally said, "This is a small fringe minority with unacceptable views." And then he mm -hmm. went on the French broadcaster um, and he called them you know, often racists, um, misogynists, misogynists, and, and point blank said, do we tolerate these people? And now he's all about like tolerance and bringing people together. Uh, meanwhile, he campaigned in 2021 on the wedge issue of your COVID-19 vaccine status, creating that medical apartheid divide between Canadians and families, right? Like my, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, my family has still not recovered from the divide that has been propagated onto Canadians by this very same government and his mainstream media lapdogs. And the rhetoric that he espouses constantly about this, you know, now that he's actually getting a little bit of pushback on it, and arguably it was weak at best, but um, he he walks it back. He can't attest to those strong, firm stances he tweets about. I don't know if we can pull up the tweet. I think it was the one um, yesterday or the day before where he said, you know, we'll always stand by. And he forgot one of the cues. Now, now there's two cues. So it's 2SLGBTQQIA+. I think, and it's sad that I even know that, but it's <laughs> as part of my job, you know, I have to know what is going on with in the socio-political landscape of our country. Yeah, this is just yesterday. So this is what he's being questioned about here. And he, oh, he got the acronym right there, the alphabet soup, um, correct there. See the two Qs. So it's queer. Sheila told me, I think it was on Monday when we co-hosted together, um, it's queer and questioning. 
um, is the reason for the two Qs. But he says indigenous women, girls, and two SLGBTQQIA plus people are, my screen's cut off a little bit there, but um, are valued and deserve better as we mark Sisters in Spirit Day. Didn't even know that was a thing. We remember those who have been murdered or are missing, and we stand with their families and their communities. Um, it's so funny because he's been like asking about the tweet, and it's probably not him that wrote the tweet. So probably he arrived and he just like have like a interrogation point in his face. It's just like what they are talking about. <laughs> he's all talk, no action. I think there's still a, a whole bunch of indigenous communities that don't even have basic access to clean running water. I mean, really, and you're going to talk about. Um, the indigenous sisters. And it's, and by the way, he claimed that it will stand against hatred message or hatred um, action and violence, wherever it is. And so when all those churches were, were burning in Canada, he never claimed that as a hate crime. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'm sorry, you don't stand for everybody. You stand for what you want to stand for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, whatever the polls are showing. We have a another rumble rant from Snowy Roof gives $5. Thank you. More and more taxes until you will own nothing and be happy. Yep, that's right. We've already, we referenced that Klaus Schwab um, incentive <laughs> previously, owning nothing and be happy, happy in your container apartment uh, in a 15 minute city while they jet set and gather in Davos and eat filet mignon. No worries there. Um, we have another clip here also that Trudeau just breaking news here um, where he is asked about record high immigration and immigrants sleeping on the streets of Toronto. Of course, he deflects mm. to Premier of Ontario, Doug Ford. Let's have a look. Um, first of all, it's unacceptable that uh, <laughs> the most vulnerable people, people who are uh, asylum seekers, uh, refugee claimants, uh, be uh, stuck sleeping in the streets, be stuck uh, in um, horrific circumstances. This is something uh, that we've taken very seriously for many years now and have transferred hundreds of millions of dollars uh, to provinces and municipalities over the past years to support uh, the infrastructure for asylum seekers, but we know there's more to do. So we're gonna continue to be there to work with the city of Toronto. Uh, and we're also uh, continuing to call on the provincial government to step up uh, around its responsibilities as well to make sure uh, that uh, the most vulnerable are supported and housed. I thought it would have gone a mistake, like we give uh, hard of a million of dollars to Ukraine. No. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah, no. we're we're quite literally funding more in the Ukraine than we are building the infrastructure in Canada to meet his extremely progressive and liberal mm. um, far left uh, goals, immigration goals. And um, Doug Ford did try to do something to quell that issue, and that was develop parts of the green belt so he was switching out some areas for others and he's been under fire about you know prioritizing his developer buddies and they're set to make billions off of it and so on and so forth but the un unfortunate you know I can see both sides of the coin because on one hand I really value having lush green farmlands I think that's obviously very important to have robust agriculture and access to uh, food and and healthy soil and so on and so forth um, 
and that lends to the clip we showed earlier of the climate alarmist being like, well, we're all, what, what's going to take till your kids are starving? Well, we need that green land and uh, that lush farmland to make sure that our kids aren't starving because we want to be able to grow healthy and adequate food. Um, but unfortunately, where the green belt lies, which is, uh, I think it's about 240 hectares spanning from the Niagara um, Escarpment all the way to uh, where I am in Northumberland County, and it spans right where the GTA and key lines of transportation development exists uh, already. Um, so there's the subway system, there's metro links, there the GO train and transit, and these hubs of development are already in place along that. It's called the 401 corridor in Ontario. And so Ford was going to develop he was proposing to develop uh, key points of that corridor where the infrastructure already exists to take on and be able to adequately house uh, uh, immigrants and newcomers and Canadians alike. I mean, in Ontario, even born Ontarians or born Canadians are struggling with the housing crisis. And um, it was, you know, it's been a controversy and a scandal and this and that. And the climate alarmists are all like, how dare you? Um, develop or propose developing this area of the green belt. So he's walked back on that proposition, but the same people, and that's why I say, and I had a report on it a couple weeks, maybe it's been about a month now. Um, I said, you can't have your cake and eat it too, because those are the same people who say, open the floodgates, open the doors. If they need to come to Canada, we're op with open arms. We're welcoming everybody. Come on in, come on in. But we don't have the infrastructure or the um, the policy that we don't have the in general it's just infrastructure and it's an infrastructure issue we don't have it mapped out and clearly laid out so that people can adequately assimilate but also be successful and wealthy and generate income and have a place to live and have all the same opportunities that they're sold on coming to Canada for when we can't even get them housed um, so mm -hmm. the whole thing is just completely upside down. Trudeau obviously is not slowing down the rate of immigration. I had a clip from his housing minister uh, last weekend, I believe it was, and he said that they that 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 the Ministry of Housing, the Federal Ministry of Housing, or sorry, of Immigration, was processing five million. He called them data points, but that's five million applications. That's five million people coming into Canada just last year alone. That's well above what the targets are supposed to be. And the targets themselves are extremely inflated. And this mm -hmm. is what's actually happening is even more inflated on top of that. And Doug Ford's mentioned that in press releases before as well. So this is a mess, obviously, and, and over half. Yeah, here, we could just play this quickly, Mark Miller. I've seen in the past few years is backlog, some resulting from COVID and some resulting from the ramp up um, coming out of COVID. Uh, clearly, the backlog that we see today is, is much different than what we've seen uh, even a year ago. Uh, we are coming largely back into within service standards. And again, uh, why I commented on the generality of the question is because in some envelopes, we are actually back to standard. In some, we are, we are close, but we're continuing to work on it. I think as a country, what you're seeing, and I think you refer to it implicitly, is we have historic numbers of people wanting to come to Canada. I'm never going to fault someone for wanting to be Canadian or wanting to come here as a country, but the reality is that we do, as pure data points, uh, I'd say five million processing um, points that we've had over the last year is much higher than it is year over year, even compared to pre-COVID. So uh, it's something that we have to deal yeah, with as a department. It.
you have to really read between the lines there. Five million data points, five million people that they've had to process. And then, you know, they're already in Canada and a lot of them don't have paperwork. They don't have their adequate documentation. And a lot of them wouldn't actually be approved to stay in Canada, but because they're so backlogged, they don't even know where these people end up in many instances. And he, he, he alludes to that later in the clip. Um, so that's to give you the state of affairs in Canada with immigration and the uh, progressively liberal targets where Ontario will house um, over half of them. And of that, almost 75% of them will end up in the GTA, the greater Toronto area. So that is an influx like we've never seen before. And they were, oh, those people are applying for help, for financial help from, from the government. Some of them leave the country, but they still claim that money. So we are still like us Canadian paying for likes. All the people who are in Canada and outside of Canada who are just like claiming our money. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um... I guess we're seeing it play out in real time and um, we we can't even expect a change in government because of the two fringe minority parties and their unofficial coalition in mm -hmm. the House of Commons. But with that, we are about eight minutes past the hour, so we'll wrap this up. I don't think there was any other super chats to get through. Uh, nope. And so we'll, we'll leave you with an ad, but just thanks everybody who joined us, who tuned in. Thanks to everybody who gave us a small donation through a rumble rant. Really appreciate that. Help keep the lights on and cover our, our, um, really high overhead. Um, thanks to everybody behind the scenes who makes this live stream possible. There's a, you know, Alexa and I are the face of it, but there's a lot of moving parts behind the scenes. So thanks to the rest of the team. And, uh, we'll see you back here, not Alexa and myself, but two other rebels tomorrow same time and place from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern. And as David Menzies would say, stay safe and stay sane. Hey, I got to tell you, I'm going on a cruise with a whole bunch of rebels. We're sailing out of Fort Lauderdale on March 23rd, 2024. That's not so far away, less than six months away. A gorgeous trip around the Caribbean. Holland America Line. Boy, is that luxurious. And we're going to bring some of our favorite rebel talent. Sheila Gunn-Reed. David Menzies, and can you believe it? We're actually bringing Tamara Leach with us for the whole week, and you are invited. Go to rebelnewscruise.com to find out the details, to check out the different cabins we have, to check out the itinerary, and the pricing depends on how fancy you want to go. I'm saying the word fancy because it is. It's a great vacation, but it's also a seminar. When we're at sea, we're going to have panel discussions in the ship's theater. You'll get involved. And every night at dinner, you'll sit with a different rebel personality. Me one night, Tamara Leach the other, David Menzies the next. It's going to be fun. And you know, it's not just fun. It's actually a fundraiser to keep Rebel News strong because we tack on a couple hundred bucks to each ticket and that goes to help pay the bills around here because, you know, we don't take a dime from Justin Trudeau. So come on the trip. Go to rebelnewscruise.com. Have fun. Hang out with Rebels and know that you help keeping Rebel News strong. That's rebelnewscruise.com. Justin Trudeau's new censorship law, Bill C-18, it's a shakedown and a desperate attempt to keep the mainstream media afloat. Many have already lost their ability to access our Facebook and Instagram pages. The blackout will soon affect every user in Canada.
we've partnered with Private Internet Access, a VPN provider dedicated to safeguarding digital privacy. For just $2 a month, you can maintain your access to our content across all your devices at piavpn.com slash rebelnews.